You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to 32 Fans. I'm Alex Chester. With me, as always, is Wheels Wienerker. Wheels, how's it rolling? Uh, rolling better than your audio, which uh, isn't great, it seems like. Listen, it's a snow day here. The weather's yeah. bad. The technology has been affected. You're the king of excuses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, so the reason you forgot your mic is because you're a moron and you lost it. It has nothing to do with the weather. Sure. Um, Fine. And hopefully it won't dampen what is usually one of my favorite podcasts of the year. Yeah, so today we have uh, returning champ Av Sinensky here. Av uh, only watched 99 movies this Very year, few. but he's uh, done us the favor of ranking them 99 to 1. And we're going to discuss, you know, the first large batch of them today, and then and then we'll reserve the best ones for next week. Av, do you ever see a movie but not finish it? And if so, do you count that in your rankings? Um, I That did not happen to me recently i don't i try not to do that i try to even if you know i don't always finish it in mm-hmm. one sitting i'll make it my business to finish it at some point just for completion ocd perspective yeah. but there are definitely movies that i was not interested in finishing yeah i well i i uh sometimes won't finish a movie i figure like i think about it this way like if it won't make my top 20 list then it's not like amazingly bad and i don't care how it ends then you know who it's it's you know cut your losses. It's a sunk cost. Just stop watching it. Yeah, I'll say there actually probably were some movies that maybe I started and watched like ten or fifteen minutes of, and then never picked up again. But those movies will not be recorded. As yeah, I would never I've rank a movie I didn't finish. I, like I would agree with that. I yeah. wouldn't rank a movie unless there I finished. It. Unless like there was some real so, extenuating circumstances. Like I didn't finish it, but I got the entire gist of it, and it can't get better or something. Yeah, we're on the same page. Um, yeah, I mean, I never, I never do that, but I actually did do that this year with about three or four movies mm-hmm. that, you know, Off sent me a preview of his list, and there was three or four on that list that I tried to watch, but uh, but could not. On the very boring, but after twenty thirty. Jester, how many movies did you watch this year? Do I get to include those? Yeah, you can include those if you want. All right. Hello. This is me counting. I, I saw about 24, 25. Oh, that's not a lot. And I, I'm closer to 50. And yeah, I've always sends over a copy of his list towards, you know, right beforehand. And then if there's something he has way up top that I want, you know, sometimes I'll scramble and I'll watch that. I still am in the middle of like in the middle of like three movies 
now that I thought would be candidates for my top 20 or top 25 that I'm not finished with. But maybe by next week when we finish this list, I'll have seen. Yeah, and I actually was going to do the same. I told Av there was like four more movies I was going to watch in the last week. But instead, I've uh, watched The Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 each twice this week. Why? Are you making some ranking of every character in The Godfather? No, just because I'm watching some other movie, and after five minutes I get bored, and then I'm like, oh, wait, I can watch The Godfather. That's much more enjoyable. Yeah, but twice? It's weird to watch it twice in a week. Yeah. I think it started, Simmons had like a podcast about it, so that got me back into it again. All right, uh, give give us a letter grade for overall what you think movies were this year. Last year, you you thought 2017 was a weak year. Uh, What do you think about 2018? Um, I think this was a nice rebound. It was definitely better than last year. Um, I wouldn't rank it as, you know, one of the really top, top movies. You know, it's no, I think 2014 was a particularly good year. Uh, 2007 is a legendary year. It's obvious, it was not anywhere like that, but there were a lot of very good movies, in my opinion, this year. Uh, there were a few truly great movies, which is what, you know, you're always looking for, and ultimately, in like the long run, that's what a movie year gets defined by, you know, the really top movies, not whether or not there were 50 good ones. Those mm-hmm. tend to be forgotten. Um, and I think in both of those categories, this year was very strong, but not quite the best. I would say, you know, B plus, high B plus, low A minus. Mm-hmm. If I had to give it, put it a, a letter on the year as a whole, yeah. um, there was a lot of movies, you know, with uh, just like different types of movies, different genres, things that I really enjoyed this year. Um, I would take this movie year every single year and be, and be happy with that in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. Do you think, without spoiling what they are, that the best two or three movies this year were better than the best two or three movies last year? Um, I would say probably not, but I think it's close. My my top movies last year I thought were really a cut above the norm in terms of, you know, the best of the best. Whereas this year's movies I thought that my, you know, really elite level movies were very, very good, but maybe not the all time great classics that will truly stand the test of time. But, you know, that's one of these things that it's hard to say now. You know, I guess we'll see how these movies age over the years. Yeah. To me, to me, nothing this year touched, like, Get Out, for example, last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I would throw a Phantom Thread into that category also, which I think was just a cut above what I would normally expect even for a really top movie, for, in, in terms of my opinion. Um, but there were movies this year that I thought were exceptional um, that I will hopefully rewatch for many years and that I think are, are musties for anyone who loves movies. So in that regard, I think it was a very successful year. Yeah, so for me, um, I wouldn't have anything no, my number one movie which we won't get to until next week would not have been number one in 2017 or in 2016 i don't know if it would be two or ten but definitely there wasn't i didn't have a movie that uh that you know really astonished me uh yeah and and if people if a really uh careful listener would would remember that my top movies the florida project and american honey from the last two years were like sort of poverty porn Florida I, or Midwest. So there's not really a movie like that this year. I actually have a, I have a prediction for what I think your favorite movie of the year is. I don't know if there's a way for me to do that without ruining it, but you could just, just uh, we'll trust you. You could you could say it when when we get to it. Fair enough. I, oh, I think I know what you're going to say. Is it a documentary? It's not. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say uh, I thought you were going to say Mining the Gap actually. I could see that for you, but yeah, I, oh, but I have a specific it's not guess. In my top 10. 
Um, okay, so we'll Av, we get there. 99 I'll, movies. I'll we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about every single one of them, but I do like to hear what was the absolute dregs of the year. So, what's your worst movie? What's number 99? My number 99 movie of the year was A Wrinkle in Time, which I went into with fairly high hopes. It got a lot of buzz. There were a lot of trailers for it. There were, you know, pretty good people involved, and it was just an absolute mess. I I don't think I've ever seen a movie that was just as incoherent as this. They would tell you that there was, like, some rule of, like, you know, rulemaking in terms of this universe, and then they would break it, and then they would you know, transport somewhere else and after the fact explain, oh, we were able to do that because here's a rule of the universe that we hadn't told you beforehand. It was just absolutely horrible storytelling. The characters were just totally ridiculous and just like bare bones and just exposition everywhere. There was this horrible child actor who I just, you know, I don't know where they, if they did any sort of casting process for this movie that they ended up with him. Um, it was like this. It felt like an ABC Family movie that somehow cost you know hundreds of millions of dollars to make. Um, there's a reason why it totally bombs. Um, it was just absolutely horrible. I, I who made the movie again? It was Ava DuVernay, who you know is a very okay. respected filmmaker. She was the director of Selma. She directed Thirteenth, uh, the documentary about the criminal justice system last year. Oprah was in it. Um, Reese Witherspoon is in it. You know, this is you know a professional film. And so it's a big it was, swing. They just missed wildly. It was, I guess you could say it was a big swing, but, you know, they certainly didn't end up with any runs on the scoreboard as far as I'm concerned. Um, okay. Uh, your second uh, least favorite movie is, was a, is a very viral movie. Uh, it's funny because this year had A Quiet Place, which was, uh, you know, pr- cr- critically acclaimed. Then Bird Box, which you have at 98, is like, uh, you know, some. I, I don't know, like, it it's went so viral, I feel like more people have seen it than almost any movie we're going to talk about, but... I didn't realize it's this bad. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously some people must have liked it, or I guess they just were, you know, humored by it in some way that there became this whole viral, you know, reenact a bird box and drive your car around with your eyes blindfolded for some reason. But again, you know, this was just a movie that I found was an interesting premise. I was hooked in by the beginning, and then, you know, they, they create this world where there's something that's causing people to kill themselves if you see some vision in the sky. And they never quite even bother to try to explain what's going on, you know. And I'm not a I'm not a viewer that needs to have everything tied up in a neat bow at the end of a movie. But there needs to be some progress in terms of what is this, why is this happening? Did you want to see How the monster? I don't need to see the monster, but I need some. Give me something of what is happening. Why is this happening? What does it mean? And there was just basically none of that. There's there's people who can see it and they like it, and then there's people if they see it. They they kill themselves right away, and they basically don't explore either of those avenues. And again, this is a movie that had extremely professional, high-level acting talent, music talent, people involved in this. Sandra Bullock is the lead, and it was just horribly Was this made to be a good movie, and then Netflix bought it because it tested terribly, and they somehow turned it into a viral phenomenon? I couldn't tell you. I mean, that Like, were they trying to make a good movie, or were they trying to make camp? I think they were trying to make a good movie. I think, you know, you don't put together a, a group of people like that. Right, you wouldn't have Sandra Bullock. For, yeah, I mean, that would be a waste of money. I, for, I don't remember offhand who directed this, but I, it was also... Because um, a lot of the Netflix movies are sort of B-movies that, after they're made, Netflix will buy anything sort of crappy with some star recognition or or, or IP for like $10, $20 million. Um, but that's why like most Netflix movies are objectively bad. 
Um, that could be. Um, but yeah, I. That's I my was, impression. Maybe was, I'm making stuff up. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I was I was ex- excited about this movie. Uh, the director was Suzanne Beer, who is not that well known, but she has directed quality things before. She's won awards. Again, there was a lot of highly talented professional people that were tied to this movie that would lead one to believe that it's going to be a quality production, and I just found it to be nothing remotely like that. Uh-huh. Uh, 97 you have, and I know Chester has, well, is going to have a lot of takes on this movie too, Seven Days in Entebbe, uh, which really did not, uh, you know, forget about good or bad, really came and went with it, with pretty much a thud. Now, if you, kids who went to Yeshiva Day School, Jewish any Jewish day school, are probably familiar with the story, but... It's weird because now this is like the fifth movie that's been made about this story, but I still think it has like no recognition outside that world at all. Like I, I don't. Well, this movie, I, don't think I people think people know it. I, okay, if we ask can... like our random Gentile listeners, they don't even know what we're talking about right now, like what it's about. People, people of our age, people who are alive at the time. I'm sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. But our peers, yeah. I'm saying, people, yeah, yeah. listeners who are in their 30s who aren't Jewish or aren't history buffs probably don't know this story. Well, yeah. So, yeah. So, on July fourth, nineteen seventy-six, um, a, um, a terrorist had hijacked a, 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 a plane that was flying to Israel. Or was it from Israel? It was from Tel Aviv yeah. to Paris. It was to Israel. Okay. Okay. It was yeah from Israel. Um, landed at Idi Amin. Welcomed them. Um, they they landed in Africa. And there was a whole negotiation, Uganda. and then Israel. Yeah, in Uganda. Sorry, and Israel did sort of a daring raid and rescued uh, everybody. Which, basically. Right, involves somebody um, dressing yeah, up like like the prime minister. You know, I mean, like it's a yeah. I mean, it was thing. just yeah. It was a crazy. And, it, the and story historically, is the only person who dies is Bibi Netanyahu's brother, which sort of historically makes it even more insane. Who? Yeah. Well, well, one other one woman died who had been taken to a local uh-huh. hospital and so wasn't there for the rescue and so afterwards Idi Amin goes and kills her. Yeah, but um, yeah, but the lead the leader of of the of the raid. Of of the rescue is uh, yeah is the current prime minister of Israel's uh, older brother who is the better right. brother and, and, by, and, and essentially sh- like shapes the rest of his life of one of these main main you know world leaders also yeah but I think I, uh, Akiva remind me did I complain about uh, this on the podcast when I saw it but the point is like yeah. this is the fifth movie about this topic and it's pro- and you're saying it's probably the and worst it's the worst one, one by far yeah. it's the worst movie of the year that I finished the 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 one thing that you think a movie like this could not mess up is the dramatic rescue like the action yeah. sequence. And they interplay it with nonstop cuts from a modern dance. It was that's abysmal. insane. It's and also, like this story is so yeah. crazy that, like, I it's a cliche, but like Hollywood couldn't even make it because it's so bananas. But yeah. you're saying they still mess it up. Yeah. I didn't see this movie, but by the way, Google Google Operation Thunderbolt on YouTube. Uh, you can go find the entire movie um, on YouTube. That's the yeah, best that holds up. Movie, I think. Uh, all right, like dropping down to ninety one. Well, we'll skip some movies. Of you have you know I'm not a Star Wars guy, famously, but. You have Solo, a Star Wars movie, as one of your ten worst movies of the year. A Star Wars story. Yeah. So is this why? Are you a big Star Wars guy? I don't remember. Like, do you just hate this particular Star so, Wars movie? Or are you anti-Star am Wars? Am I a in Star general? Wars movie person? Is a loaded question. And you know, compared to you, I'm a Star Wars movie person because I've seen all the Star Wars movies. Well, I, I know about. I, you could test me on, the, <laughs> on three of the movies. I know. Oh, a lot do you? Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, compared to a, a Star Wars movie person, I am not a Star Wars movie person yeah. because I've seen all the movies once. Maybe some of them I've seen a oh, second okay. time. But, you know, I'm not. You don't think about them when you're not watching. Certainly not. I, I certainly don't speak any of the languages that are spoken in any he's of the He's trying Star to say Wars he's movies. cool, guys. I'm certainly not cool. Yeah. I'm just l- more <laughs> cool than some other people. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I generally like the Star Wars movies. Um, I, you know, I guess I didn't really like the prequels, but I, I like the original trilogy. I've liked the two new recent parts of the new trilogy. I liked Rogue One. Uh, this one just like did not work at all for me. I mostly because I thought it was a movie that for some reason seemed to serve to answer a whole list of questions about Han Solo's background that nobody was asking. Like, why is he called Han Solo? No one was ever asking that. They decided, you know, we need to figure that out. And just like all sorts of like little backstory stuff that I guess they thought was going to be good fan service, but that just was like, who cares? Um, And I just, you know... I would say there there were things in this movie that I enjoyed. You know, there were good some good action scenes, and maybe my ranking on it is a little bit low just because I was disappointed by it and expected it to be better. And just you know, it is what it is. Um, but I would say the the thing that bothered me the most about this movie is that Han Solo in the original movie is like this badass guy who's like kind of like a troublemaker, and he goes through this story arc where he basically cuts back against that and comes and helps everyone and saves the day and becomes a hero. And this movie, which is a prequel, establishes him as this starry-eyed, optimistic guy, and that kind of, in my opinion, undercuts everything that we knew about him from the original movies, and I found that extremely upsetting as just a movie fan, that you would, what is, in my opinion, just basically undercutting this character arc that happened in one of the most important movies in cinema history, so that you could make this new movie in 2018. I found that very bothersome and as a result kind of just ruined the whole movie for me. Uh-huh. Uh, 89, you have Kindergarten Teacher. That's one of these movies that it's the type of movie I would watch. I, I passed it like 40 times on the streaming sites. Never bit the bullet. Why do you hate it? So the thing about Kindergarten Teacher that I thought was extremely odd and I watched this with my wife on a Saturday night and I kept pausing the movie and turning to her and we kept saying to each other that we we don't think that they really understand what movie they're making here. Because, just to give you a brief synopsis, Maggie Gyllenhaal plays this kindergarten teacher. She has this student that she determines is extremely gifted at poetry. He's like five, and he just writes poems, and they're very good. And she's like, just she wants to spend more time with him and help him develop this skill he has. And he kind of has like a broken home life, and there's like no one really paying attention to him or really, you know, overseeing his day-to-day life. And she starts to become closer and closer with him. And eventually it kind of takes a dark turn to where she's really overstepping her boundaries into what is acceptable for a teacher to be involved in the life of a student, you know, without direct permission from the parents. And there's no point that the movie or any character in the movie calls her out and says, what are you doing? This is not okay. And... I tend to like, you know, sometimes when, you know, they make movies about people that are not necessarily involved in the most, you know, respected things and that I like when a movie is not judgmental of its characters and kind of just lets them breathe and like showcases the life that they're leading. But this is one where I think the movie could have used a little bit more judgment and said, no, what this person is doing is wrong and somebody needs to make it explicit that this is not okay. And, you know, it ultimately gets there, but there was just too long of a period where you're, where I was just watching it and I'm like... They think they're making, like, a nice family drama, and they're making, like, a psychological thriller, and there's just something askew here. Interesting. It sounds almost, like, so bad that it's good, but uh, I'm still yeah. not going to watch it. Also, famously, I, I don't watch... Once this movie lists over next week, I'm done with movies from 2018, so I will not watch. There's actually one movie that that you did not see that I haven't seen of that I'm desperate to see that looks amazing, and it's called The Fathers and Sons, and it's a documentary, and basically... Uh, a guy gets like you know tags along with like an islamic militant family and like uh you know gets access that maybe 
other people you know have never had before and it looks amazing it's got good reviews but really not a lot of people have seen it and i can't find it anywhere um that's really the only movie i haven't seen i don't know if there were any movies you didn't get to see that you really wanted to that's really the no, only movie nothing I that seen, i was but, uh, desperate to see i i kind of i guess when you see a hundred yeah movies, i mean i that's not... i also i wanted to, to ask you um when you because some of these movies you saw 11 months ago or, or even more at this point do you sort of make a note? Do you give movies a score on like a zero to a hundred scale? Like, how do you, or do you just sort of do this by memory and at late, late in, in, in the end of the so year? So when I see a movie, I I tend to give it a score. I tend to jot down some thoughts or notes on it that just to make my process of writing, you know, my mini reviews at the end of the year a little bit mm-hmm. easier because it would be, yeah, it would be impossible for me to go back ten months later and you know put something together. So I kind of put either bullet points or if I have time, I actually you know, put it into sentences and kind of like have a document where I keep like my rankings in order and I'll just like slot things in, you know, oh, I think it was a little bit better than that. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, it's a work in progress throughout the year. You know, sometimes I'll just find that a movie that I saw in April, if I'm still thinking about it in October, that means it probably was a little bit better than I thought it was. And, you know, it might get knocked up a slot or two. Uh, all right, 83 is Vice. I feel like I've seen this movie, even though I haven't, because I've heard so many people talk about it. I've seen clips online. Uh, so Adam McKay, usually a great director. What what went wrong with Vice? So, yeah, I was looking forward to this movie a lot. I really like The Big Short. I really like Adam McKay's stuff in general. I wouldn't say really like. I like some of his movies. Um, you know, I, I liked all the people that were involved in this. Christian Bell, Steve Carell. I, you know, had a really good cast. Um and I wouldn't even say that, like, the overall political message that this movie tries to give is something that I disagree with in any strong way. You know, it's obviously a very left-wing movie. It paints the Bush administration and Dick Cheney in particular as extremely manipulative and evil. And I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily maybe go as far as Adam McKay does, but there wasn't anything that was, like, so off-base. I just thought the entire tone of the movie was just extremely cartoonish. There was like nothing subtle at all. And maybe mm-hmm. that was his point. He was trying to do things in this way, but it just, you know, there's, it it portrays Cheney as this diabolical monster beyond what I believe is believable about a human being. Um, to the point that there's mm-hmm. even a point where they try to give him some slight tinge of humanity by exploring the relationship between, between him and his gay daughter who he, you know, stood by. And then they're like, you know what? Nah, let's just make him an asshole that way too. And they just basically wipe that away too. Um, it was just, mm-hmm. you know, it was just mean-spirited. It was, you know, just total cartoonish parody. Um, I just didn't find that there was that much value to take away from it. You know, they just, they, there's a line in the movie where Don Rumsfeld is asked, like, oh, what, what do we really believe in? And he laughs, like, as if, oh, ha, 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 of course we don't believe in anything. This is just a, a power grab. Right. Um, there was just... Right. It's just crazy because everyone thinks they're doing the right thing, yeah, it basically. Just, it misses... like, I'm sure if you ask Kim Jong-un, like, he would tell you, like, you know, like, he's just trying to make the lives yeah, of North it's... Koreans better. And, like, is he doing it? No, but I... I, 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 I I would imagine that not everyone was thought they were yeah, like, actively... Yeah, pre- presumably, like most the human beings, they thought they, they, thought they were heroes of their own story and that they were doing what was right. And sure, sure yeah, yeah. maybe they benefited along the way. But like, I don't think that it's possible that these people who devoted their lives to trying to rise to power were just, you know, power-hungry. They, they thought they were doing what was right. Yeah. And and then the movie just ends with this just like there's a post credit scene that is just like, hey, if you were dumb enough to stick around, here's what I really think of you. And there, there's just this scene where they, you know, they're doing like a, uh, 
what's the called like a peer review study and of like people watching the movie and like there's like some teenage girl who like isn't paying attention because she's like focusing on the next Fast and Furious movie or something like that. Um, which I just again found mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, now I know. I don't even know who you're who you're making this movie for. I guess you're just making it for yourself because you you know your respect for right. the audience who is viewing your movie is obviously not there. Right. I will. I will say when yeah. we talk about I mean, my, Black Klansman, which we're not going to talk about today, I don't think. Uh, you can make some similar case against the sort of the end post credits. Um, I've heard that, too. but yeah, I'll, I'll. Well, I guess let's wait till we get there. What are you going to say, Chester? Yeah. Well, my criticism of Vice is similar to Ob's. You know, the 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 scene that he referenced where Donald Rumsfeld jokes about how they're you know complete nihilists and they believe in nothing is the best example of the idiocy of of the politics that you know that McKay is is presenting. In well, McKay's a weird guy. Who, uh, sorry to interrupt, McKay, because he McKay's in the DSA, but he's all, like if you if you're like really you know following. Uh, like leftist Twitter at all, you know they, those guys don't talk about Trump at all, ever. They like he doesn't exist to them. They never talk about him. They only complain about moderate Democrats. But McKay is weird because McKay's DSA, but he also is like a complain about Trump all day type of guy. Well, th- that's not weird. I would say that's normal, uh, sure. But, but I'm just saying, no, just, like he's sort of in he, both he, worlds. Where he, he just seems like a dilettante. He seems like a dilettante who sort of drops in on politics and doesn't know anything and shows. Well, he tweets a hundred times a, a day ways. about politics. But yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's cartoonish. It's um, from what you know, I see. I, and I didn't even ma- see this movie, so take everything, like ignore everything I'm saying. It seems like the <laughs> the bail so and and, yeah. and like all these guys were were basically focusing on sort of getting the impression down, and and you know like just portraying this like these ridiculous characters instead of actually adding any nuance to the movie. Well, n- yeah, that's not accurate. So you didn't <laughs> again see the movie. didn't see the movie. Uh, uh, just the, guessing based on yeah. reviews. The the make well, I think what what you're what's impacting you is is the still images you saw of it because the makeup obviously of Bale and of Donald and of Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld is incredible. Those two, the makeup did a really really good job, I think. But like Sam Rockwell as George Bush is purely a yeah. cartoon. I actually disagree with Av. Like his comment about like um, Cheney's uh, humanity vis a vis his gay daughter. I mean, Cheney does not bend on that now. His daughter, his other daughter does, but that's what happened in real life, that his other daughter politicized her sister in a way that Dick always refused to politicize his daughter. So, you know, I, I thought that that Cheney, when it comes to his family, is made sort of human in a lot of ways in the movie, um, which is fine. I mean, you know, just Amy Adams is like this Lady Macbeth. Just everyone in the movie is like a cartoon, honestly. Uh-huh. And its politics are, are inaccurate um, in smaller ways. In the bigger picture, like was Dick Cheney a bad vice president and was the Bush administration like – did it cause a lot of harm in a lot of ways? Sure. But, you know, that's th- this movie is trying to do much more and it really screws it up. Okay, uh, next movie is 82 is Green Book of uh, a lot of controversy online. I have to say I've completely avoided it. I really know nothing about what this movie's about and why it's so controversial. Green so Book is a movie that I thought was like fine on its own. You know, if you look at if you think about it totally in a vacuum, it's it stars uh, Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen as, you know, a black and white odd couple type duo. Um, Hershelly plays this singer, Don Shirley, who he wants to go to the South on a tour, and he hires Viggo Mortensen's character, Tony, to be his driver, and it's just kind of, it's supposed to be this, like, you know, feel-good throwback movie that, you know, I thought was fine, I would have been perfectly happy to see it, think it was okay, and never think about it again for the rest of my life. Um, for some reason, a lot of people seem to think this was the best movie this year, which, you know, has forced me to spend 
Mm-hmm. So you punished it. Well, and you I mean, it all the way down there. maybe I moved it down a little bit, but I I thought it was like okay, like it was decent. Um, I thought there was there are some racial perspective issues with it that I found problematic, but like I would have been happy to dismiss if this was like just like not a movie that anyone was taking seriously. But once you know, in my opinion, when you're mm-hmm. saying this movie is the best, most important movie of the year, and now it's one of the two movies that is considered in, in the in the driver's seat to win Best Picture, it won the Golden Globe, it won the Producers Guild of America Award. Now, you know, I think it needs to be held up to higher scrutiny. And in that regard, a movie that I just thought was like fine and with good acting and with a you know mediocre screenplay and kind of sappy needs to now be looked at through the racial perspective that it has, which I found to be extremely troubling. Um, the idea of some this, you know, white guy taking what, in my opinion, is objectively the story of the black person. You know, he's the singer. He's the one who is risking his life to go to the South to, in order to bring his art to the world. And for someone to then say, oh, well, my dad was the guy who drove him around while he did that, and now I'm going to make a movie about him and make it all from her, his perspective and mm-hmm. turn the black character into almost an afterthought who, you know, he's just, like, not given any real personality traits. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have any sort of details of his life filled in. Uh, he's basically just this mechanism by which Viggo Mortensen's character goes from being a racist at the beginning of the movie to not quite as racist at the end of the movie. And I just found that to be kind of upsetting. Um, and the idea that, in what in my opinion is a year where there was, you know, a good number of movies that really had nuanced, serious portrayals and discussions of racial issues in America... And to see all those kind of cast aside and see this movie glorified, I think is would be very troubling. And, you know, we'll see. You know, I, I think that it's at this point, it's probably not the absolute front runner. It's probably most people think it's not going to win, but it's, it's still pretty wide open and has a very good chance. And I just don't I don't get it. Like, I didn't even think it was that good to begin with. And even putting aside the things I just talked about. Right. So this is going it to become crash. If, I mean, a lot of wins, people yes. are are making the uh, 1989 do the right thing, uh, driving Miss Daisy comparison. And listen, we'll see. I just it's mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of baffled by by the love for it, but that's just me. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to recommend that anyone see it because I didn't particularly like it or care for it, but it might win Best Picture. So, you know, right. Uh, at 80, you have Wildlife, a movie I saw. A lot of people haven't seen it, so let me just give people the, the brief summary, which is a teenage boy must deal with his mother's complicated response after his dad temporarily abandons them to take a menial and dangerous job, which is a firefighter for wildfires. That is the name of the movie. Wildfires. Oh, the movie's named Wildlife. I keep I, I keep thinking it was Wildfire. And, it's, and it was um, written and directed by Paul Dano, who uh, is not in the movie. Paul Dano, I would say, who's he married to? Uh, Zoe Kazan? Um, yeah, she wrote it with him. I would say, like, other than Adam Driver, like, the least approachable human being on Earth, probably, I feel like. Like, the last person you'd want to have a conversation. What about Michael Shannon? Yeah, he's up there, too. That's a good call. I'd say those three guys, like, that's the world's worst Super Bowl party, is is Adam Driver, Paul Dano. There's no way Paul Dano could name one team in the NFL. <laughs> and Michael Shannon's a great call. What were you saying? You met him? I, I saw him. I was at a theater and they were doing a screening of 99 Homes and I saw him. And yeah, he looked exactly like he does in like the scariest in like, <laughs> yeah, in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, t- my problem with Wildlife uh, was like, it doesn't like, I, when is it like, it doesn't have a, uh, 
like it sort of tries to bounce up and down with tones a lot. Like where is it? Like what year is it even set in? Seems almost like I forget if they said it or not. I saw it a while ago, but like the. I don't know. It just—it's very unsure of itself. Like it, there's a good movie um, yeah, in there, I guess but I, I don't think agree. This is it takes it. place in the '60s. It, it's in the West. Um, it's it's very very deliberately paced, like very slow. Um, which again, for me, is not a deal breaker. But it, it just—I didn't find that there was that much there. Um, you know, it had some interesting things to say about you know the kind of a reversal of a parent-child dynamic where the kid kind of becomes the person who has to tend to his like emotionally needy parents which i just thought that was just like an Mm -hmm. interesting thing to see because obviously it's supposed to be the opposite um i noticed that there was like you know the the final shot of the movie is it's like a family picture and it's the father on one side the mother on the other side and him in the middle which you know i guess is just like this is the reality that they're in where he's just like stuck in the middle of these two people who may or yeah, yeah, it's very so, cheesy. The yeah, last thing anyone's movie that we just um, So yeah, you know, it's it's I, it's not a movie that I would necessarily I would really recommend to to most people. It was it was fine if if you like very slow, you know, deliberately paced movies, you might like it. Um, but I think most people probably won't. I thought I would, but I, I still didn't like it. Uh, Seventy five. I didn't bold this, so I'm assuming Chester wants to talk about it. Operation Finale. I don't even know what it's about. Seventy five. Operation Finale is about the is. Israel's capture, oh, okay. this is a Holocaust, and trial of Adolf Eichmann, who was the Chester. You saw this architect of the final solution. Yeah, the trailer yeah, seemed did. good, but then I mean, it, there was nothing amazing about it. I thought it was sort of a standard, you know, historical. Well, what, what, ah, why do you hate it so much? I guess. Well, I would again. I wouldn't say I hated it so much. We're we're now, you know, these are movies that like I thought were like okay, but you know, nothing particularly good. Um, the movie, it kind of again, like it, it's felt like cheap production wise. It felt like a History Channel movie to me, um, despite having very strong oct- uh, actors in it. Oscar Isaac plays one of the Israeli agents, and Ben Kingsley plays Adolf Eichmann. Uh, the scenes where they are like in, a, in the interrogation room together and kind of like playing off each other as he's like trying to basically get him to confess and admit while he's pretending that like you have the wrong man. I don't know what you're talking about. So those scenes were very good. Um, I thought they did a decent job of like grounding Eichmann as like a family man where you kind of see his humanity, which I think, you know, did a good job of like tapping into that, you know, concept of the banality of evil that Hannah Arendt wrote about in her her works on the Eichmann trial. But overall, you know, there was there was just not that much there other than like kind of like that middle part. There's they spend way too much time on like the operation to get him, which like I didn't really care about. Um, and just like not enough time actually just like trying to better understand like what is the deal with the type of person that could be involved with something like this and like what drives him that goes to akiva and i's disagreement on which fire festival documentary uh of 71 you have uh, beirut i don't know anything about this movie basically akiva if any movie touched on israel in any way you boycotted it this year <laughs> why beirut is also about it yeah beirut's the movie is john ham and it came out in like february it came out early part of the year yeah so this is an old movie that's why like yeah. if even if i saw it i would have forgot <laughs> about it well, it's it, it it really takes place in Lebanon. It takes place at the height of the Lebanese civil war, if I if I recall. Um, and John Hamm plays like this like former diplomatic. I think maybe he was like the ambassador to Lebanon at some point. I don't remember the exact details. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, like he he was he was there, and then like he left for a long time, and they bring him back for like you know one last mission, yeah, one last job, thing. yeah. Um, and you know, again, this is a movie that was like perfectly fine. Like you know, you could put it on on a Saturday night, and like you'll probably be gripped for a couple hours it's pretty good um you know 
their the general message they're trying to convey about you know outsiders trying to like come to this area of the world that they don't understand the first thing about and trying to like do things their way there and how obviously that's not going to work and it just will lead to this cycle of violence uh, that will never end and because we don't really understand what but I, I thought that Beirut did an excellent job of the the subtleties and confusion of Middle East politics especially Lebanese politics where there's you know myriad different sides and angles and I thought this did a much better job than, than any other movie I've seen on the topic yeah I mean I, again I, th I thought it had some interesting things to say and I thought it was pretty good um, okay, so let's skip all the way down to 60, a movie I saw, Leave No Trace. Actually, uh, give me a one-cent synopsis for Do You Wonder, Did You Wonder Who Fired the Gun? Because I've never heard of it. What is that about? That's 68 for you. Did You Wonder Who Fired the Gun? It was actually, it was, it was interesting. Um, it was, it's a documentary about a white guy who discovers somehow that his great-grandfather or grandfather was somehow involved in murdering a black man in the 40s, 50s, 60s, I don't remember exactly when. And he kind of goes on this journey of like exploration and trying to uncover what it, what he could find about it, like reading like old news clippings, interviewing family members, and it's just you know it's uh it's an exploration of like the burdens of our, our our ancestors and the bad things that they've done, and just learning more about your own family and do do you know the crimes of the of the past get passed on to future. Is this based on a true story? Reckon with that. Yeah. It's oh, a documentary. oh. Okay. So it is a true story. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty interesting. It's kind of. It's very low low budget. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, it's it's not like the most cinematic documentary, but it, it's an interesting story and it had me interested for for most of it. Uh, Sixty, you have Leave No Trace. I saw it. Leave No Trace is basically about a father and his daughter are sort of off the grid in an Ar in an Oregon like national forest type situation, uh, and then they get caught and and stuff happens after that. Uh, it's a very small movie, I guess, like once you get over the premise. Um, I, I don't know. I, what, what, I, I, I like this movie probably a lot more than you did since you put it all the way down at 60. But I also thought like the movie sort of doesn't want to be loved. Like it, it really, uh, it, it, it really, you know, doesn't, it, it's hard to root for, for anybody in this movie, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I just, I guess I didn't really know what to make of this movie. I kind of just felt, like, a little confused by it. Um, kind of kept waiting for something more to happen. Like, it kind of, it has that feel of yeah. a movie where there's going to be a lot of action, and just the action never yeah, comes. Yeah, it just ends. And that kind it just of, ends, yeah. And then it just kind of, that kind of just, like, oh, like, you're, like, looking at your watch, and you're like, well, there's only 20 minutes left right. in the movie, so I don't think anything is going to happen. Um, and I guess just, like, the expectation of what you're looking for in terms of a tone kind of throws you off, whereas if I think maybe if I went in with a kind of different expectation, I might have been able to appreciate... It feels like, like they the thought they were all winning Oscars for it also. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. Um, it's, you know, it's certainly, it's, you know, it's well made. I thought the acting was very good. Um, the, specifically the daughter, I thought was really excellent. Yeah, she was great. She um, was great. Um, and this is another one, like uh, like Wildlife, where kind of you see that reversal of the parent-child. It's a lot dynamic, like Wildlife. It's, it's very slow where, also. I mean, there's more drama maybe in this one, but it's, it's sort of glacially paced at times also. Yeah, I mean, where like she, like she's basically the one that has to decide, like, am I going to, is it my job to take care of this person or do I have to like, deal with my, my own self-actualization it's like kind of mm -hmm. this debate that she has back and forth which is you know not the type of thing you'd usually expect a, a teenager to have to wrestle with right uh, so you know this is an interesting perspective to see and like knowing that you know there are people out there that this is the way they live not specifically you know in the forest but just kind of having to deal with a mentally ill parent and it's becoming your responsibility because there's no one else to do it 
All right. Uh, next movie up is 59 is Bohemian Rhapsody. Very controversial. Seems like it's growing in controversy. And uh, forgetting about the Brian Singer stuff, which I understand why if that like well, I didn't see it. Uh, and I'm sort of my protest was before I even realized, like, oh, Brian Singer's a bad guy. Uh, I was so excited about the idea of the Sasha Baron Cohen version of this movie when it was announced. And then when he bet out, I'm like, oh, I do not care about like the history of the band Queen, a band that I never particularly liked. Um, but like it has incredible reviews. It did well at the box office. It's nominated for five Oscars. But some people also say, wait, like, hold on. Incredible reviews. Incredibly bad. You mean? No, uh, the fan reviews are really strong. Like, it has an 8-2 on IMDb. The oh. critics didn't love it, but, like, the fans really like okay. it. Okay. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. So, Bohemian Rhapsody, to me, is just, like, the way you want to analyze this just, like, has totally to do with, like, how are you looking at this as a movie? Because, you know, I, I went to see it in theaters. I went with a group of people who all, you know, like, we like Queen. And two hours in the theater of just seeing, you know, Queen songs played, making them in the studio, seeing them in concert... Uh, Rami Palek is very convincing as Freddie Mercury and, you know, the scenes where he's acting. It was a very good, fun time at the movie. And, you know, I, you know again, you don't want to, like, knock a movie for just being fun. But then when everyone starts saying, oh, Rami Malek is going to win Best Actor for playing a musician in a movie that he doesn't sing. And this movie is going to be nominated for Best Picture when... It's really just, you know, a very paint-by-numbers music biopic. Now you you have to look at the movie a little bit differently, and you have to be more critical of it. And there just really wasn't that much there other than some fun music scenes. I mean, you have this character of Freddie Mercury, who's like one of the most enigmatic lead singers in music history, where you would think any movie about him would spend a great deal of time trying to understand what was it about this guy that made him tick, that just made him be this just weird, eccentric extremely talented guy who is just you know this total unique character in in music history unlike any other musical act that we've seen for the most part and it, it doesn't even try it doesn't bother to try to go down that road of what like what was his deal you know they kind of touch a little bit on the you know the sexual stuff but you know that's not even necessarily what i was interested in i just want to know you know what like who was this guy and they don't bother um the all the other characters in the band are total non-entities they're just there in the backgrounds the screenplay has these just there's just these lines of dialogue that are just like so over the top and silly and just like plot developments that you know again like they're not not that it needs to be historical to a T but just when you when you read an article afterwards and it's like oh well none of that happened it just leaves you with a very bad taste in your mouth after seeing a movie that presents itself as ostensibly real okay I've didn't want to knock the movie I'm, I'm gonna knock the movie and go a little bit further and, and knock those who liked it so let me be very clear if you love Bohemian Rhapsody, if you want to see it win um, at the Oscars next week, you are hereby banned from this podcast. Stop listening right now. Oh, I don't, we don't care enough about this movie. No, 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 no. Stop. Okay, good. They're all gone. All right. I would encourage uh, everyone left... to keep listening, and, but, you know, that's fine. No, they already stopped. Um, this was the worst movie of the year. This wow. movie was garbage. If you like this movie, you're like worse than Trump. You're a horrible person and you're a moron. This movie was complete garbage. Now, here's the caveat. Queen is awesome. They have a million amazing songs. No. And if you enjoy listening to Queen, I under, you know, I was saying, well, it could be a fun time at the movies. You know what you should do? You should actually go watch the music videos of Queen, all of which are available on YouTube or whatever. I mean, you know, I watched this movie at home. It was so bad that we kept pausing, but it did get me interested in learning more about Queen 
and Freddie Mercury. And so I went down rabbit holes of watching these YouTube videos. The only value that this movie had, in my opinion, is people made these cool videos on YouTube where they showed side by side, like the actual Live Aid performance next to the um, film version of it. And so you saw sort of the ac how accurate they were in, in, in certain respects like that. So I give them credit for that. And I give them credit for like helping me learn more about Freddie Mercury and Queen. But this movie was so bad, the story was like completely absent. It just didn't make any sense. It just lurched from thing to thing. Freddie Mercury had like 16 almonds in his mouth. It was like ridiculous. Like I was never aware of, um, of Freddie Mercury having extra teeth. And like Robbie Malik makes it like the defining aspect of his personality, which is really annoying. Um, like, like Keeve, I was really excited a couple of years ago when Sasha Baron Cohen was going to make his version of this movie. And he famously quit because he wanted to make a real raw look at who actually Freddie Mercury was. And the band wanted to make like an ABBA cutesy version kind of bullshit movie, which is of course what they did. Um, uh, one one review I read said Freddie Mercury led the least PG thirteen movie, the least PG thirteen life of all time. And so to make a PG thirteen movie about his life is deeply insulting. And that's how I feel. Uh, this movie was garbage. And I love Queen, but just go watch Queen videos and don't watch this movie because it's garbage. Yeah, Chester invited all his friends. Like I went out with his friends to watch the movie. Chester invited all his friends over to watch. Queen music videos on YouTube and was confused when nobody showed up. Um, 54 of uh, his beautiful boy. A movie I was incredibly excited to see. I did like it. I definitely liked it more than you. But I was so to me when I watched it, I'm like, oh, this could be my number one of the year because I love, you know, it sounds interesting. I love Steve Crow. I didn't even realize it was a true story till after it was over. I, I you know, the only thing that made me realize it was a true story is their name is so their last name is Chef, which I don't think like it. I just didn't think that was a like a fake name. I thought it was a real name, but I didn't know anything about the story until afterwards. Uh, so Steve Carell's son uh, is battling addiction the whole movie. Uh, why was this met to you? Um, I just thought it was just like kind of formulaic. Um, I just feel like I've you know I've seen too many of these types of movies about you know a kid struggling with drugs and the father or the parent is trying to help them and. Obviously, they're not able to because they're addicted to drugs. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I thought its use of flashbacks was interesting. You know, it, it definitely added some value, but I think it also just kind of kept taking me out of the movie um, and just, you know, kind we of... We also got nothing. There's, like, no female characters in the movie, right? Like, the, the stepmom and the real mom are kind of cast aside. Like, I do wonder in real life if the dad was like the key figure in his life and the mom was really secondary yeah well i mean he must have been i mean he lived with his dad it seems like um and i thought it was interesting the way they did bring in like the mom and the stepmom just as like these quasi authority figures in a child's life who have mm -hmm. some say but ultimately not the final say because that yeah, because of yeah. decisions they've made earlier in their I, life there's a very good chance it's not true remember he wrote the books that the movie's based right on, so. um so yeah so again i i think you know it could have done without the flashbacks which i just think they added a little bit of color for me, but not enough to compensate for the way they took me out of the movie every time it kept jolting back and forth between the present day and the, and the past. Um, mm -hmm. And just, you know, it was it was fine. It was it was well acted. It it was a nice story. It was interesting. But again, like I, it's like nothing that I haven't seen several times before, I think. So it just didn't stand out to me. Here's another movie. Steve Carell definitely thought when he was doing this that he was going to win like best. Yeah, actor. well, thankfully this wasn't his worst movie of the year, which was that other one that I didn't see. I forgot. Yeah, I don't. I didn't see Marwin, yeah. but I but I wonder if he also thought that was going to win. I, I'm sure a lot of people thought they were winning stuff for that. Just you, you don't make a movie like that and not be very excited about yourself. All right, another movie I was way harder than you at 46 is Mind in the Gap. It's a documentary that on the face value is about skateboarding. 
but really is more about you know growing up uh, in sort of a lower middle class society and 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 deals with a lot of really interesting issues and captures a couple things that they probably did not think they'd get on camera that were pretty amazing. So I'm surprised you didn't love it. Uh, yeah, I was surprised I didn't love it either because of how much it was it was hyped by a lot of people. Uh, and I will say I don't care about skateboarding. Like uh, we have not talked about mid nineties yeah. yet. I, I I do think it's. Uh, it's on your list somewhere. Yeah, I'll say this was the worst yeah, skateboarding movie I saw this year. <laughs> so we could talk about mid-90s now That's also fine, if yeah. you want. But it, it, I don't care about skateboarding. I never skateboarded once, you know, in my life. Um, That's shocking. Yeah, very shocking. <laughs> the guy who doesn't know how to ride a bike. Um, although I was you – know you know what blows my wife's mind? That I was like a pretty good skier. Like nobody would think that, but I was a good I skier. went skiing uh, um, one time in my life, and it was just yeah. about the worst day of my entire life. Yeah, the first time you go skiing, you have you skiing is 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 like learning a language that you really need to start when you're four, because the 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 start of the skiing career is so brutal, and will and is so uh, you know such a confidence crusher that you really need to do it when you're a little kid. So you don't have, you get the bunny hill out of the way when you're like a baby. Uh, yeah, I have a very different opinion on skiing, but we're not going to get into ski takes here. What's your what's your skiing take? Ski, skiing is not hard. You don't have to be a child to do it. Like that's a, that's a bad take. On gr- on Green Hill, skiing is like the easiest thing in the world. It's yeah, like if standing people aren't it's ve- the first few days until you catch your bearings are very difficult. Are you starting on like double black diamonds? Like what are you skiing down? Well, some people no. I trust I mean, you. can go down a green mountain and bomb the whole thing, and it'll just feel like you're like driving at twenty miles right, an hour. Well, you know, people there, don't there's even, no People here. usually start day one on you know just going back and forth don't even go down let's just we, we could we could summarize this by saying that i went skiing i went on a two-day ski <laughs> trip with uh, a bunch of friends a bunch of people you guys know and the first day i went skiing the second day i stayed back in the cabin to watch movies yeah the, the, really the cabin well, is you the best made part too of much of a commitment like you, you can't that's too much of a commitment if you have never gone skiing before you have to start with like you know going for like you know one day at the local place yeah. not like all right we're I, going to vermont I, or yeah, Colorado. I, I, the, the truth is the cabin is the best part of skiing being done with skiing and taking off your boots is is so that that's not a great thing and also like yeah. i've been watching a lot of uh, uh you know the the whole season of olympic skiing it's crazy how much more dangerous it is than it gets like it's so much more dangerous than like nascar or any other sport like there are countries yeah. that their whole team is just out for the season like they can't feel the team because every single person they have is injured because when you get injured in skiing it's like oh you crashed at 110 miles an hour yeah you're lucky that. to be alive and it's like yeah. literally like someone on the canada team uh, had such a bad injury that one of the best one of the best guys saw it and is like, I retire and didn't go didn't like ski that day. He's like, Nope, retiring right now. And and one of the, the French- huge mistake I made the yeah. first time I went skiing was, uh, and I think actually always sunny in Philadelphia might have had something similar. I forget with Charlie is I didn't bring gloves because I was you know I was going skiing for the first time. I was like, Well, I need a hat. And I need yeah. snow pants. And I'm like, Do I need gloves? Well, what do I need gloves? My hands are gonna be holding the poles uh, the whole it's time. No, it's not gonna be cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so my hands were like two blocks of ice. Oh uh, yeah. So that was so, so anyway, back to uh, back to Marty the but, Gap. Uh, so just to just to be <laughs> yeah, now we're talking about skateboarding. Yeah, so just to be movie. clear, um, you know, yeah. I so I have this rank number forty six, which sounds like that means I didn't like it, but every movie from here on out are movies that I liked. And I liked Mighty the mm-hmm. Gap. I thought it was good. I thought they, the documentarian did a really good job. He gets these people over over a long period of time to be reflective in a way that I did not expect from from them. And it feels unexploitative in a way that I didn't expect and you really get to learn a lot about these people over a long period of time um, and I and I really liked it I thought it was very well done it just wasn't you know one of my really top top favorite movies of the year I liked other movies better 
Mm-hmm. What, what was it that you... Yeah, I mean, it says a lot also about domestic violence that, you know, you don't see, certainly in documentaries, because it was almost like, uh, you know, a, 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 a sort of a happy, an unhappy coincidence that, that it was caught, but... Um, I don't know. It just it just felt like uh, you know, like when you're watching it a little bit, like oh, this is kind of special. Uh, skipping uh, for speaking of documentaries, let's go to 44 for a second. Three Three Identical Strangers, a movie I absolutely loved this year. Um, I to me, if you know nothing about the story and you come in blind, it's just it's an incredible, incredible story. It, it almost feels fake. It's an it's incredible an story. story. Um, makes it very easy to make a documentary when you're starting with just such an exceptional story that just. Yeah, the truth is we could have made a B plus with this documentary. Yeah. Um, so that I mean, I kind of have it very high just for the story itself, just because this was not a story I knew. So to be able to just see this story told was just incredible. Um, there were a lot. Of, there were some things the documentary did that I didn't really like. Um, I thought it was just like a little bit too cinematic at times. Like they would just like shoot things in a way where you know the, with like these big reveals and like flashbacks and like I just. I thought you kind of had to do that. Listen, a lot of documentaries have this problem, which you know is like, oh, we have like 50 minutes of story, but we need to stretch it into like 80 minutes so it becomes right. a real like, be. motion picture. Um, and then it just also, you know, they, they, they try to really start delving into the, you know, nature versus nurture debate as if they're going to settle this in the last 15 minutes of this movie. This thing that like... Right. That's... I mean, it's fair. I also like... But I also think this could have been a 10-part documentary and I would have watched it. Like, I have so many questions about like you know like the relationships and stuff and they it seems like uh, fast forward if you haven't seen it and you and you want to see it for a second cuz i'm going to spoil something like only two of the three brothers are still alive it seems like the two brothers who are alive basically have nothing to do with each other that's what you know when they sit down it looks like they're two people who haven't seen each other right, in a very long time but yeah it could be um yeah What's in, what's interesting is, you know, you talked about, like, the reveals in this movie. So one of the big reveals, and, you know, Kiev already spoiled it, is, is that when the one brother commits suicide. Yeah. I thought the movie did a very good job of revealing that because, like, to me, it was a surprise when that happened. Yep, yep. yep. And, to, and to my wife, who I was watching it with, she wasn't surprised at all. She said to me, she's like, well, of course he's dead because we haven't seen any interviews with him yeah, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, and no, I, I, and I, I hadn't even realized that. So I they did a good job of hiding that, I thought. When, you know... Uh, not to spoil Dear Zachary, but I sort of caught you catch the same thing in Dear Zachary, which is another similar idea of uh, you know a movie about someone who you think is alive and they're not a documentary. Um, By the way, one, one thing that I thought this movie, if anything, almost undersold. You know, my biggest issue with documentaries in general is when you is when you watch a documentary, if you don't know sort of the story and where it places in the larger context of history. Documentaries tend to exaggerate their their subject and make it seem like this was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the sort of the penultimate example, the best example of this to me, it drove me nuts, was the Len Bias 30 for 30, where everybody in the movie, Michael Wilbon and all the other talking heads on the movie said that the only reason, the singular reason for all like the overburdensome, uh, tough on, you know, crack laws passed by Congress in the 1980s was right. because of the death of Len Bias. Right. And it was like Len Bias that caused the entire right. war on drugs, like which is preposterous. Yeah. yeah. And this movie I thought almost undersold in certain respects, which which is almost a, a, a breath of fresh air for a documentary, in a couple of things where they sort of didn't even, they could have played it up even more, I thought. Like just as, as one small example, the, the adoption agency which they use, they just sort of mentioned in passing as being, you know, some local, uh, you know, Jewish adoption agency in New York at the time. No, actually, that is the adoption agent, the Jewish adoption agency in New York, like always. Like, 
since I've seen that movie, I've come across the name of that adoption agency multiple times in books I've been reading, in articles I've been reading. Uh, in one case, somebody I know personally was adopted through that. Um, Andy Sandberg's uh, mother was adopted through that on an episode of that PBS show with Henry Gates. Like, like this was a massive, massive, principally important adoption agency, which I think makes the scandal all the worse because it wasn't like some podunk. You know, this was like the main adoption agency. Yeah, that did no, this the, thing. the whole adoption agency thing is almost its own documentary because it's there's got to be. I mean, there has to be more, right? They're like they haven't uncovered all of them. There have to be more. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll never know no. how many people. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, forty-five. We skipped a simple favor. I thought a pretty interesting movie. Uh, Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively, directed by Paul Feig. Uh, basically, a girl who a, a, a ma a single mom who has a vlog, and befriends this sort of like rich lady, uh, played by Blake Lively. Uh, I thought it was a pretty uh, original movie. Like it had. I thought it, I thought I would hate it, but it had. It was a little campy, but it had like a really uh, interesting spin on what could have been. Yeah, I thought it, I was movie. I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I liked it a lot more than I thought. This was like a a wife's choice uh, Saturday night that I went along with and was like, oh, this yeah. was actually very good. Um, you know, it it kind of like totally is a little bit all over the place, which I think is to its benefit because yes. it kind of leaves you guessing like, where is this going to go? What type of movie am I even watching? Is this a comedy? Is this a thriller? Yeah, yeah, and, it's really all over the map. Every scene is like and a specifically like, Anna Kendrick's character. I thought she did a great job of just like kind of towing that line between the two types of movies where you're just like, like, what's her deal? Is she? Am I, are we going to find out in the end that she's a serial killer? Is she just like a nice mom? It just kind of right. kept, left you off kilter, which I thought made for a very enjoyable uh, viewing experience. Yeah, Blake Lively was really good in it, also. Yeah, she was great. Oh, and she was like, she wore these outrageous outfits that I just got a kick out of. Um, all right, someone bold – oh, what's – sorry to bother you, 43. Oh, is that the, um, uh, like, anti-capitalist movie that I'm blanking on, on, the, on the guy's name? Yeah, sorry to bother you. I thought was – I would say the most original movie of the year. Um, it's a Boots Riley movie. It stars uh, this guy, Lakeith Stanfield, who I believe was in Get Out, right? He was the, the guy who gets kidnapped at the beginning of Get Out. I'm like, I better be right or else I'm going to be racist here. Yes, yeah, I was right. Yeah, uh, this is one of the movies I started watching okay. on so, Ob's recommendation. So yeah, I thought I this was this like the most original movie of the year. Um, I thought it was like more just like packed with different ideas than any movie I saw this year about you know race and labor and capitalism and all sorts of interesting stuff. Um, unfortunately, I thought it kind of just goes off the rails. Uh, I mean, like it like literally just becomes crazy in the second half, uh, mm -hmm. which I guess worked for some people. It just becomes like I, I I don't even want to say what happens in this movie in case anyone wants to see it, but it it just goes in a really unexpected direction let's leave it at that um and i thought just like kind of lost the thread and it could have been a lot better it, it's it's the type of thing where i would say you know you could tell this is the, the first time this guy's making a movie and that i think we could expect him to deliver better quality in the future but this is it was an impressive first showing uh a hereditary is number 40 that's a horror movie i didn't see it because i don't see horror movies tell me about it hereditary um so it's it's a horror movie, as you said. It's it's a family drama. The first I would say this is also one where like I thought the first half of the movie was like close to a perfect movie. It just sets up this really interesting family drama of you know mental illness and what we get from our parents and how we deal with that in our own lives and whether we can ever really change. And again, this is a movie that then like in the second half we start getting into like real like seances and spirits and and more like just like overt horror film stuff that I don't usually love um, and it kind of there just kind of 
fell off for me a, a little bit. I still thought it was very good overall. Um, Tony Collette, I think, plays the, the the main lead, and she was sensational. Um, and I, you know, if you're into if you like horror movies, I think you would really like this. It had a lot of good things in it. Um, I'm just I'm like a borderline horror movie person. Like I'll I like some of them. I love some mm -hmm. of them even. Um, but like it's for me, it's like I like when they're more grounded in reality. They affect me more in that way. And so like the first part of the movie that I thought was very grounded really worked for me. And then as it became less and less real, it kind of you know trickled off. Okay. Uh, all right. Thirty seven Death of Stalin. What the heck is that? Death of Stalin. Chester, did you see Death of Stalin? Yeah, you probably liked it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, of course, Keeve didn't see it because Keeve is a liar and a backtracker who never does what he's supposed to do. When we ranked our top movies ever, we each gave each other assignments. I watched all the bad movies that Keeve made me watch, two of them, and I'm sure he didn't watch either of my movies. Keeve, did you ever watch In the Loop? Um, no. No, of course not. So, uh, uh, Death of Stalin was the Armando Iannucci, Iannucci movie that he made this year. Um, I love In the Loop. It's 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 you know one of the funniest movies that he made. I love uh, what's it called? Uh, the Thick of It. His his TV show on the BBC. I love Veep. I don't like I don't like Iannucci. Like I I like Veep, but in spite yeah. of him, I'm sure it's better. Yeah, Veep is by far the worst of all the products that he's made until this movie, The Death of Stalin. By the way, he's coming out with a new movie I think next year on David Copperfield. Mm -hmm. Not not the comedian, but you know the the character from Charles Dickens. Um, although I looked at the cast of that movie and it's like all the actors I find kind of annoying, like Tilda Swinton and Dev Patel. So I don't know. Hugh Laurie's in it. I guess he's pretty good. Anyway. Um, so the death of Stalin is a movie based on sort of immediately after Stalin dies and sort of the, the battle for power in the Soviet union in 1953, but it's a comedy and it sort of shows the absurdity of politics, even in the most sort of extreme example being, you know, the totalitarian Soviet union. Uh, but it's just a classic you know, Armando Iannucci movie, except that it was a little bit worse, honestly. It was a little bit disappointing. It, it, you know, it was a little too dark to be funny, I thought. And, you know, it was a little bit too slapsticky. Like, you know, it, it, the, the cast was all these, like, great co comic actors. But it's a little, I don't know. It's like they're joking about, you know, mass genocide. So it was a little hard for me. Mm -hmm. I was very excited to see this movie. And uh, it was not as good yeah, as I I, I, I I don't really have that much to add. I, I think I felt similarly to you. Um, there were some very like funny individual scenes, uh, but it kind of just like didn't all mesh together to me the way I had hoped. Um, I expected to really love it just because I, you know, the, a lot of people that I whose opinions I respect seem to really love it. Um, but it just kind of didn't all tie together to me to really, you know, be higher up on the list than I would have expected. Keith, I can't believe you still haven't seen uh, In the Loop, by the way. Uh, I you you were supposed to watch I think all thirty seven seasons of Survivor and you didn't so. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, thirty four Annihilation. It's a sci fi horror movie. It stars Natalie Portman. Yeah, this is uh, this is uh, Alex Garland's. Uh, I believe it's his second movie. He's the director of Ex Machina, which was is one of my favorite movies in the last ten years. Um, sci fi thriller. Basically, they they discover there's this area of the world where there's this thing called the Shimmer that things go into it and they never come out and they basically build this all-female team that is going to go in and try to figure out what's going on in there. Uh, the visualizations inside there are extremely cool. Um, there's just like this like soapy iridescent area and as they go in there they just start seeing weirder and weirder things like uh, animals start to like kind of blend together like they I think they discover like a bear that has like the teeth of an alligator or something like that. Um, and it's just like kind of like tapping into like these themes of like adaptation and like what happens when 
you know, different people or different species start borrowing from each other and affect each other in, a, in an ecosystem um, and, you know, how that affects us as people. I thought it was, you know, there were some interesting things about that. Um, there were some really, really cool scenes. Um, there's one with, like, a bear where they have to fight off a bear. And then, you know, there's a, a scene with, like, a, a double of Natalie Portman towards the end, which I thought was very cool. Um, and just, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it had some interesting things to say. Um, if you're into sci-fi, I would say go see it. Um, but yeah, that's about all. Okay, uh, next up, thirty-two searching a movie that's in my top ten. Spoiler alert! Um, oh, this is an Akiva movie for sure. You're like you totally saw yourself. Yeah, you know. Uh, by the way, I picked out a few of these movies. My wife wanted to watch movies with me. Although now we're in the middle of When Heroes Fly, which Chester already said it's the best show on television. Av, have you seen When Heroes Fly? I have Fly not yet? seen it, nor have I heard of it. Uh, uh, Chester, sell, without spoiling anything, because I'm still in the middle of it. Sell Av on When Heroes Fly. Uh, it's a uh, it's an Israeli show on Netflix. Uh, there's only one season. I assume there's only going to be one season. Because, I think there might you know, be a second one, but it might be different cast and crew. Like, yeah, it would have to be totally different, exactly. It, it would be like, you know, far Thank something. you for spoiling it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, th- that the story... Okay, there, there's no... Sorry, I spoiled the fact that there's no, you know, big cliffhanger at the end of season one. Fine, mm-hmm. I spoiled that. Um, you tell them what it's about. I, tell them I don't want to say... No, because there's nothing you can say about it that doesn't ruin it, I don't think. It, no, it, I think the premise it, is it like goes in a total. What the show's about okay, the premise is that it's a group. It's this group of buddies like who were in the in the Israeli army together ten years earlier, and now they're like mm-hmm. thirty years old, and their life is in a different place. And they, you know, some of them reunite uh, for some reasons. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, it's definitely going to become an American show very soon because yeah, it's like they're making it America bigger yeah. and better than like Khatoufin, which became Homeland. I'm sure it's already yeah. sold. And it'll it's, be it's, it goes place. in such interesting places. And what I think is so incredible without getting into the movie too much is it was actually supposed to be the book it's based on takes place in Chicago, not the, um, not the other place outside of Israel. You can where, say where, where it is. Starts. You can say, well, where yeah. So I, part of the, right part now. of the movie takes place in Columbia, um, the country, it's a show, not a movie, uh, Bogota. And, um, the book actually takes place in Chicago and then they couldn't do that. They couldn't film it there because it was too expensive. And they considered San Diego before deciding on Columbia. And the story would have had to have been so dramatically different. So I think I'm going to go read the book because I'm sure the book's very different, but it's really good. All right. I will, I will add it to this. Uh, go yeah, watch it. It's on Netflix. It. It's 10 episodes. It by the way, the first episode is by far the worst and the longest. So it was tough the, to slog. Yeah, one is too one. long, and the second one's really long, too. But my, my wife, like, and we were never like this. She's like, all right. When one ends, she's like, all right, let's watch the next one. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're 40 minutes each, but the first one is like an hour and a half. And the first one was really boring. I did not, like, my wife actually quit. And I only stayed powered through because I had been given, you know, assurances that it was good for people I trust. And I'm glad I did. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, I don't know how we got into When Heroes Fly. Oh, yeah, so my, so I picked a couple movies out for my wife, and I knew she would love Tag because she loves slap, Slaps the Comedy. She loves seeing like people fall over chairs and stuff. So she absolutely loved Tag, was like dying of laughter, and uh, and Searching. I knew Searching would be up her alley, and, and I, it was two for two. They were her two favorite movies of the year. So, yeah, Searching is really cleverly made. The whole movie takes place on technology. Like We're always looking at a computer screen or a phone, uh, but you never really feel trapped in I, I don't know. I just I like I thought for what they were trying to make, they made like yeah, a 10 it was, of 10 uh, version of. You know, it was as good as it, it could have been. Uh, I would say save for like the final like twist of the movie, which just kind of I think went just like went too far in terms of just being ridiculous. But um, it was I thought it was like a really great movie. Um, it you know, it's 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 one of those movies that's just like about like a smart guy being smart. And like he kind of does exactly what. I would do in this situation, or at least what I would hope I would do, is just like sit at a computer and try to figure out as much as I can for as long as I can until I could figure it out. Um, 
there's like the opening sequence of this movie that is just basically like YouTube videos showing like the backstory of this family and how you know they ended up with the situation of a, a father and a, and a daughter with with no mom like it's just like a three minute scene that just tells this like magnificent story with no words it's just images I thought it was really breathtaking um, and it just kind of you know it's just really cool it's a real it's a real accomplishment to be able to make whatever this was a ninety minute two hour movie with all through the eyes of a computer and phone screen. It was just really, really well done. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not much to say about it other than, like, I, you know, I could, it couldn't have been better than it was. It, it was exactly what it set out to be. Uh, and, and you could quibble with the end. I don't want to ruin the end because people are going to uh, probably watch it still. But, uh, yeah. you know, the, you could say the end got out of control. Um, we're going to stop after at the, at the top 20 here. So let's let's go through 30 to 20 quickly. The, the hate you give, I want to skip because I haven't, um, I have not finished it yet. Uh, Twenty nine, Tully. Okay. Did you guess the ending of Tully uh, midway through the movie? Because I'm bad at that sort of thing, and I did. I did not guess it actually. So I, I knew something was up. I couldn't quite. I, I mean, there's a scene in the middle of the movie where there's like a sex scene. We are like, okay, this, this is not real. Something. Yeah, I was talking here. to Keeve in real time as I was watching it, and I think at that scene, I basically made that comment. Yeah. Yeah, so I I didn't figure out what it was. Which I, I think maybe because I'm, if I'm the Sixth Sense never happened, like, no one would have caught it, and it would be a much bigger movie. But I I, I think right. I, I think because um, like you sort of have this idea of like you know, well, without getting uh, <laughs> spoiling, which we've already done. Like I, I just thought it was a little bit too obvious. But the the taking up taking out the big twist, I thought the movie was like really entertaining uh, and you know a fun time to like it was it was well done. Yeah, and I, I thought it was just like a really good portrait of what parenthood could sometimes be like. Just, you know, the boredom of it, which can be both horrible and kind of all there is at the same time. And, you know, a, a, a couple of parents that are just, you know, both trying as best as they can and not really there for each other in the way that they should be and understanding what, what they're each going through. Um, and yeah, I, th I, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was very well written. Um, and yeah, the ending, I, you know, I think it works thematically. I, I'm waiting for someone to explain to me the mechanics of how it all works. But, yeah. you know. Uh, so Jason Roteman not, right, it's, it's, directed it's, it's, that movie. He directed Thank You for Smoking and Juno, which were both great. Up in the Air, which I really liked. Uh, and I feel like since then, he's sort of lost his fastball. Young Adult stunk. Labor Day was trash. Uh, men with... Oh, I liked Young Adult a um, lot. Oh, no, I liked Young Adult. That's true. Sorry, sorry. I, I, I'm mixing it up. <laughs> Young Adult was also Shirley's The Run, right? You know, yeah. I actually yeah. thought it was great. A lot of people didn't like it, but... And, but and, Pat, and I loved, Cody, Yeah, and Pat and Oswalt I loved in that movie. Um, but uh, Labor yeah. Day stunk, Men, Women, and Children stunk. Uh, Tully was fine, and then the frontrunner of the Gary Hart movie, I don't think is in your top 100, even though it seems like it's an odd type no. movie. No, it, it, well, I, I saw it. And now it, he's made the Ghostbusters movie, which is weird because it's a comedy and he's not like a comedian. Um... The, uh, yeah, but no, I like Tully. I, I, I don't know if it, like, I don't know. It, I thought it would be bigger. Like, it seems like nobody really discussed it. The twist didn't get... Sometimes these movies that come out in March or April get forgotten when the summer movies come, and then, like, end of the year, nobody remembers, and then after that, it's just, it, like, it never happened. Yeah, um, there, there's not a lot of buzz about it. Um, I think maybe, like, the ending turned some people off that then they, did, you know, it didn't get the word of mouth that they were hoping mm -hmm. for. But I think it's a movie that's worth seeing. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was very good. Um, and, and, you know, as a parent, I, I, I saw a lot that I thought, you know, resonated with me. Um, mm -hmm. And I what, would recommend Because your wife it. always tries to trick you into sleeping with the babysitter? 
<laughs> exactly. We have a lot of those sorts of uh, events. I would say Tully's one of those movies, and I've referenced this earlier in this episode, where you know you start thinking about it a lot more far after you've seen it. Yeah. Which I think forces you to go back and say, well, maybe this is better than I thought. Yeah, um, no, I agree. This is, this I, is I true agree. of Phantom Thread last year also, I think, where I was thinking about Phantom Thread for a long time, um, whereas when I walked out of the movie, I thought, well, I love Daniel Day-Lewis, but other than that, this movie was, eh. Um, and, and so I, I've been talking about Tully to a lot of people. I've been referencing it. So I think probably it deserves to be rated a little higher just for that reason. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it... You know, it's I, I, you know, it could just be you know, it's something that is feels more present in your life. You know, you have young kids, and there's just things that are reminding you of that. But you know, that's perfectly fine. That's a reason for a movie to sit with you. Twenty eight, you have mid nineties, uh, a well made movie that looks, you know, like it's just a great vision by Jonah Hill that was clearly actualized. Uh, it's supposed to be like a love song to kids who grew up in the nineties, but the three of us grew up very much in the nineties. Our entire childhood was basically the nineties, like more than almost someone born in any other age because 7 to 17 and like we don't see ourselves at all like I've never been less represented in a movie than this movie right like I don't feel like this is my generation at all well on the one hand yes I mean obviously you know on the surface there you know a group of skateboarders is not at all what I resonated with but you know the, the 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 types of things that they're dealing with in terms of you know masculinity and you know the need to be tough yeah. and to fit right. in. Right, everything groups. everything I mean, I is sort of a gay slur when you're when like in the in the mid '90s. Exactly. Yeah, I, I thought that it really captured a lot of stuff that really did resonate to me from childhood of just like what were the things that I aspired to be when I was 12 years old and were those good things and who were the types of people that I thought were you know cool to hang out with. And you know the types of. We also I might be to two years too young. On- like I don't, I, I don't know if Jonah Hill's like a couple years older than us, but it, it felt like all right. This is what it was like to grow up in 1993 when we weren't really up to that yet. Jonah Hill's actually our exact, right. the same exact age as the three of us. Um, all right, so your theory, your theory, my theory is, is wrong. Except, and so maybe it's an LA, uh, New York thing. You know, I don't know. I mean, he's yeah, literally you know, our exact I, age. I, he's literally, you know, the same, uh, the same, uh, you know religion that only like a few people are uh, like it we sh- it should speak to us more than anything i don't know it it uh it didn't speak to it didn't speak to me uh like at all uh, even though i like the movie yeah that's fair um I, yeah i i really liked it um i i think that in general it's you, you see a lot of movies that the often the more specific the the filmmaker makes the movie it can create general themes and ideas that that resonate just it's like it's like the details of the specificity mm-hmm. that I thought really just like brought that stuff out for me. I, don't, I I'm I'm struggling to remember exact examples from the movie, but there was stuff where like there was something that somebody said to somebody or tried to do something, and I was like, well, this is like nothing at all like what I experienced, but also exactly what my experience was like. Right. So speaking of representation, which I mean, I do ever like it's an interesting question because we are are sort of like a, like a subgroup within a a subgroup. So I like. We never really are represented in movies or even in, like, literature or... or... Yeah, it's about time they start making movies about white men and nothing Yeah, about. well, I didn't mean that. <laughs> That's, I didn't... Uh, uh, yeah, I did read that Esquire magazine article, but I, I mean, like, as modern Orthodox Jews, we're such a subgroup within a subgroup that it's, un, you know, it's unrealistic that you'll really ever see us depicted, like, you know, as the stars of any... Uh, show or movie or even or even like a yeah um, I think represent I think representation is very important right um, so right so saying that so tw- uh, we didn't really talk about crazy rich Asians because you didn't love it but uh, let's talk about 
love Simon because I, I do think a lot of people felt like, wow, this is like a movie. You know, I, I've never felt more represented in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, so again, this is another movie I think we're also like this specific really works because so this Love Simon is a movie about a, a teenager who is going through the process of coming out to his friends and family. Uh, to let them know that they're gay, that he's gay, and he's really struggling with that, and the best way to do it, and you know he kind of gets caught in between, and like he wants to tell people, but he doesn't know the right way. And I think this movie is like not just about coming out as you know being gay, but just kind of like letting it all out there, of just like announcing yourself to the world, of like here's who I am, and you know accept me for who I am. And it really shows that that can be challenging even under the most you know. Benevolent of circumstances. I mean, this is a guy who's like all his friends. Like they don't give a shit if he's gay. Um, it becomes clear like immediately that his parents don't care. They're supportive and loving, and you know, they they just want him to be happy. And even under those circumstances, this became like this excruciating process for him to be able to just you know tell everyone he knows that he's a little bit different than they thought he was and that could be challenging whether that thing is that you're gay or anything else and i thought it did a really good job of handling that but all, but also let, let's be fair in terms of representation he's an extraordinarily rich white extraordinarily good looking um bright kid like he has every single advantage in the world going for him Absolutely. And yeah. even in that circumstance, still, this was still an yeah. extremely challenging thing. So imagine if you're, you know... Well, but that's what I'm saying. I, I bet there's a lot of gay teenagers watching this movie who are frustrated. They're like, well, of course, you know, he has a happy ending because look at his life. Right. Fair enough. I hear that. You know, so I, I don't... I The only familiarity I had with the whole sort of young adult genre before the last couple months was we have a mutual friend who's a young adult writer. And then and then the movie was Charlize Theron called Young Adult. Like, I didn't know anything about that genre. Um, and I saw in, in a couple of movies, which are pretty high on my list this year, are The Hate You Give, which Keeve says we have to wait till next week to talk about, and this movie. Yes. And I thought, you know, I thought it was a pretty standard, predictable teen movie. But I, but, and the whole time I was watching, I was sort of like, okay, whatever. But then I was very emotionally touched at the end. So I give it credit for that. But, and I guess this is a question I have just in general. Maybe, Av, you've seen more young adult movies. But like the two movies I referenced, The Hate You Give and Love Simon, in both movies, everybody seems to have like, and, and I, I understand this is true. Like, Movies and TV in general, everybody's better looking and richer than real life. I get that. But, like, especially in these two movies, everybody seemed to be way richer than, like, they like than the normal person would be in those circumstances. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a huge young adult expert okay. either, so I wouldn't know. Um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely true in these two movies. Um, you know, I mean, it's even more it. problematic in The Hate You Give because of sort of, like, the background of people in that movie. But, like, Common right. plays, like, a police detective who lives in a house nicer than anybody, any house I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, I think they were both adapted from books. I, I I haven't read either of those books, so I don't know how how much they stuck to the books there. But it's you know that's a fair observation. I agree with that. Yeah, but I liked it. It was a good movie. All right, couple last couple movies before we get to the top twenty, uh, which we'll save for next week. All right, twenty. All right, so so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this next movie is was my prediction for your number one movie of the year. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, it was really high on my list, but it's not number one. Yeah, support the girls. Twenty four. Chester, I'm sure you didn't see it. I try. This is one of the ones I tried, and I quit after half an hour. So tell me yeah, why I'm so wrong. Yeah, you're definitely wrong. To me, this was one of the most, you know, considering this movie is not swing for the fences, like, uh, you know, in it, you know, the stakes are very small. Maybe a couple people's jobs at stakes, but you know, there, there's, you know, it's not war, and the, nobody's life is on the line. This movie is just so original, and um, feels uh, so unique that uh like it's 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 hard to describe i mean it's basically the movie is about the manager of an of a knockoff 
We're uh, talking about support the girls. I don't think we said that. Oh, so. sorry. Support the girls. Yes, we didn't say the name. Support the girls. It's Regina King is the manager of essentially a, a non-chain version of Hooters. Uh, and basically she is like the mother hen and she supports um all of all of the all of the girls, which is the title of the movie, and she has to deal with the bad boss and a lot of wacky things happen. My my one critique and one of the reasons why it's not my number one or number two or anything like that movie of the year is it does feel like a series of vignettes that just happen for the sake of the movie to be on the same day. Like the movie go it gets pulled in a few different directions. It is sort of like a very big day. Right. Yeah. It's it's not a it's not a it's not a typical day in the life. Uh, I, I hear that. That's that's fair. Um, but I thought it just did a really good job of just like shining a light on this group of people that we wouldn't necessarily spend time on in any other movies, which which is what I this is why I kind of thought you would really like it. It kind of had that American Honey Florida Project feel to me that I know. Yeah, you if, love I'm sure those. somebody who works at, at a Hooters or at a um I forget what the knockoff version of it is that always has like the biker gang wars in Texas. Um, the like those types of things like they feel like, oh, yeah, they I don't know, like whether they nailed it or not. It's like usually you're going in and they're just in the background while you're having conversation in a movie at this at the restaurant like this. Yeah, exactly. uh, there's, a, there's a lot of funny moments, a lot of comic relief. Regina Hall is like almost like too good for the movie. She's really good. She's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like she could have been nominated for Best Actress and I would have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah that for sure. That makes sense. Uh, nobody saw it. It made no money, but it's sort of starting to get a groundswell. I do think. I do think that it will sort of have a second life somehow. I hope so. Uh, no, there were I... definitely critics that put it like in their top five, like legitimate critics. But, but yeah. this is this is, and I'm not trying to be a troll here. This is the part I don't understand. You're like it's so unique. Like to me, the reason I quit it is because it seemed like a million episodes of a TV show I've seen before. It just seemed like it, it, this has been on the UPN since I was 14 years old. Well. Oh. I don't know. Like it, it, nothing about it struck me as original at all. It was like I, I felt like I had to was, watch the whole thing. But I feel like for a movie, and you know, we've been we've gone over this, you know, for five years now. Like you, you like smaller stories. No, I understand. Yeah, but that. you That's can't fine. get as you can't get as attached to characters in a movie in general as you will to a TV character where you might see ten, twenty, you know, two hundred times. Did you but see I, this week's episode of High Maintenance? Yes. So uh, there was, you know, there's a very similar story as 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 one of the vignettes in this movie with the, with the kid who's you know, in the store for the day, who's home sick. Oh, that's last week's high maintenance. Oh, sorry. That's what I mean. Oh, the the kid who's homesick. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the little yeah. kid who helps with his parents' restaurant. Which again is like another example. Like there was nothing in this movie that I thought I hadn't seen before, except that it just took. But that's six a weird of example of a TV show because that's a TV show with every week is different characters. It's like the only. Well, but that, but it's a bunch of vignettes, which is kind of what this movie was also. I uh huh. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I totally. If someone doesn't like this, I wouldn't like force anyone to see. It. I didn't make my wife sit through this because mm-hmm. I she might have loved it, she might have hated it. But um, all right. Uh, we'll just let's do one more movie now. Uh, let's end on Game Night, and let's talk about the state of uh, comedies, because I feel like Game Night was really funny, and I, it's totally reasonable for you to put it at 21, but it's also like, is this the best comedy of like the last three years? And if so, that's like pretty sad. Um, well, I had I had one comedy higher on this list, but we'll get to that next week. Um, I thought it was a riot. I, I had a great time with this movie. Um, it was a, you know, I thought it was a good story. You were actually interested in the story. You wanted to see where it would go. And... Yeah. Which is not usually the case in a in a comedy. Usually, you know, the, the story is just like background noise for jokes. Um, and I thought it was just absolutely hilarious. Jason Bateman was as Jason Batemany as possible. Uh, Rachel McAdams, I thought, was phenomenal. Reminded everyone, like, oh my god, she's hilarious and a great actress, and you know, she should just be in more big movies. And just there was just filled with jokes. Um, 
Uh, Jesse Plemons plays an amazing character as the next door neighbor that I've been like referencing and, and commenting on all year. Um, I just had a great time with it. This is a absolutely perfect date movie, and everyone should see it. It's a, it's a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely worth seeing. I enjoyed it. Uh, there is the suspense aspect where you don't know where it's going. It makes me wish that there was like 40. It feels like there could be 40 movies a year like that that are like equally as fun. Well, then someone should make them because I would see all. I'll see all 40. Yeah, of them. I don't know. I just they're just like the the, the state of comedies and movies. Is, yeah, is I, comedy, it's, it's comedy like straight up comedy is not in right now, and I don't know what the reason for that is. Like would this movie have hit? And maybe it's because we're younger and like comedy movies are funnier when you're younger. Um, but, like, would this movie have hit in the late 90s when there it's, were actually... It's hard to say. Comedy is very fickle. I mean, you go back and you watch old comedies that you loved, and they're not funny anymore often, and things just change. Comedy... comedy yeah, that's comedy, true. Not everything Comedy gets stale. You watch it has to, stuff, it works in a specific time, in a specific place. Um, and But, you know, this I thought was really great. All right, so next week we're going to do the top 20. Chester, do you have anything else to say before we wrap up for today? No, come back next week. You'll get Ob's keys in my uh, top 20 movies of the year. We'll give a little bit of Oscar predictions, I think. Yeah, we could do that. Sounds great. Ob, right, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Glad to be here. All right, have a good one, guys. Bye-bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 